If you're looking for dad jokes and some level of personal finance, you've come to the right place. It's the Pete the Planner experience. I'm the host, Pete the Planner. And by host, I mean I have two co-hosts. So am I a co-host? Dame, how's this work? Am I a co-host or am I a host? I think you're the host and everyone that is in your orbit is a co-host. I don't like the hierarchy sound of that. But Kristen... We're we're definitely not in like sidekick territory. You guys are not like sidekicks, right? Uh, I mean, when the show is called the Pete the Planner Show, what else are we? Well, we're gonna change. What were we gonna change it to last week? Kristen and Co. <laughs> <laughs> well, then the same the same uh, issue is still there. Is that people would be sidekicks? Rick Swank, Andy Danza, hola, hola, hola. That's Trace Spanish. Hellos. Okay, so Jeremiah here, I'm just going to level set with you right now. What if Jeremiah doesn't listen anymore and this joke about uh, me talking about how busy I am, just no one no one cares anymore because Jeremiah's given up on us <laughs> as we now approach two and a half million downloads on uh, the nice. show I looked right this on. week. Um, okay, so here's the thing. I, we, I, we, it's a 50-minute show today. We've been going to like an hour three, an hour yeah. six. I don't like you guys that much, you know? No. Yeah. <laughs> no. Krista, we have to start the show in about a minute here, uh, but I have to tell you, uh, I got to see you in person this week, which is very exciting for me. You were down here in the studio Correct. filming things. It was very, um, did the feeling of excitement feel reciprocal for you? As in, was I as excited to see like you and everyone else <laughs> the smile? Yeah. Of course. Absolutely. I sit at home by myself and our coworkers are great. So getting to see everybody is always good. Dame, what was the quality of that lie right there? It was pretty high, high, uh, high level. I okay. can't lie. So <laughs> let's do it in three, two, one. This week on the Pete the Planner Show, we answer your money questions. Here's how the show works. You email us, askpete at petetheplanner.com. It's askpete at petetheplanner.com, and uh, we'll read your question. We'll answer your question. We do lots of other things. Uh, we is a plural. That means it's not just me, Pete the Planner. It is other people, including Kristen Alanius, Director of Education at one of the best places to work in Indiana, according to the Indiana Chamber of Commerce, your money line. Hello, Kristen. Hello, Pete. And her colleague, my colleague, our colleague, Damian Dunn, no relation, Vice President of Advice. Hello. Good day. We got to start with the Supreme Court uh, discussion around the Biden student loan forgiveness order. What a wild week. So we're going to start there and then we're going to hit this idea of what are the biggest threats to, uh, to financial stability to each of the primary generations. Okay, so boomers, what's the biggest threat to your financial stability? Uh, millennials, what's your biggest threat? And so we'll do that here a little bit later on. But let's begin with the Supreme Court's discussion, debate, whatever, of the student loan forgiveness order that President Biden put out last fall, fall of 2020. So Kristen, uh, early when the order was issued, it felt like, okay, this is happening. The applications are open. What was something absurd, like 22 million people applied or something like that. it felt good at first, right? Yeah, we really hit the ground running. There was tons of media coverage. We were doing so many interviews with TV and other media outlets. And all of a sudden, we've kind of come to this screeching halt of now what? 
Yeah. The now what I, 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 I don't want to parse words um, nor debate your word choice. Damn, it doesn't really feel like a now what. It sort of feels like this is going to get slapped down like Dikembe Mutombo <laughs> rejecting a shot. No, 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 no. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. <laughs> uh, it's gone to, in front of the court. Uh, the court asked some very pointed questions to the uh, representatives for the federal government. And they were not convinced, uh, asking about whether or not the language in the law that the president was relying on to enact this forgiveness or engage in this forgiveness actually meant what they were trying to say. And like it or not, that's part of the Supreme Court's job is to interpret the laws and uh, figure out exactly what was meant by them. So if, if there's a majority of justices that are already scratching their heads thinking that this may not line up, things probably don't look too good. I, I I hate to play holier than thou again <laughs> for twelve for twelve years in a row. But I want to say as I as I sort of studied this this week, I took uh, I, I I took this idea that I'm not really affiliated with either political party personally. I'm just not. I I I fancy myself an independent, and so therefore there's some really interesting aspects of what happened this week and in, in, in within the whole executive order. So I'd like to go through that because I find it fascinating. Some people might get mad, don't care. It's fascinating. Number one, the HEROES Act was uh, brought about by which president, Kristen? I don't remember. Dame, the HEROES Act in 2020 was brought about <laughs> by which president? Well, I thought that the HEROES Act was before that. Yeah, I did too. The anyway. HEROES Act was before. It was President <clears throat> Trump is the answer. Okay. Okay. President Trump is the answer. And so what's fascinating, especially as you get to the CARES Act and the delay of student loan repayment because of an emergency, you have this idea that um, President Trump started the whole concept in, the, in this modern era of delaying student loan payments because the, of the pandemic. So are we level set, the three of us so far? That part, yes, but I think Damien's looking up when the heroes act. Uh, let's let's move on. Let's keep go it. On, let, let's on a roll. Let's go. No, so we're going to go back and correct everything I said no, here. At the absolutely end. not. No. Okay. Good. So just thanks for the email, everybody. <laughs> then uh, President Biden got in and said, "You know what? This actually makes sense. Let's keep uh, people from needing to make payments." So do we all agree on that part of it? Yes. Okay. Hundred percent. But then this is where opinion can get involved, right? So the Biden administration said, all right, well, we think people are really suffering. We think the economy is suffering. Oh, and also we had a campaign promise around student loan forgiveness. Let's forgive a bunch of student loans. And that's where this thing starts to break down because the debate in front of the Supreme Court this week was, did did this forgiveness, did it modify the original order or was it an all new order? And I think that's where the debate makes a compelling argument that forgiving everyone's student loan debt to the tune of what, $400 billion mm -hmm. is not a modification of the original idea. It is a whole new thing. That's just my opinion. Dame, how do you reflect on that? Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that's exactly where the crux of this argument comes down to. Now, you could still argue standing to see if this you know, court or if this uh, <clears throat> the suit has any standing of being in front of the Supreme Court or any court for that matter. And I'm not an attorney. I don't know enough about standing to be able to tell you yes or no, it does or not. So let's talk about modification and waiver, which we might have a clue about. Um, I 
agree. I, which is not shocking to anybody who's listened to this show before, but I, it, man, it sure feels like that when somebody was writing this law, they did not have that aspect in mind when the language was hitting the paper. It was for much smaller changes. Yeah. Kristen, how do you get your head around not only that aspect, but the other one uh, of the argument that's been going on this entire time? It seems unfair, and I used air quotes there, around $400 billion goes to help a certain group of people, but the landscaper who started his business right out of high school is not served by this. Well, it's also $400 billion over 30 years, so it's the cost is over. I That was what I read in an article this morning. And to someone, I understand um, and I empathize with trying to wrap your head around the fact that you may have made different life decisions if you had known that the government was going to um, pay off your student loan debt. But I would also encourage you to look up government spending and the amounts of money that are spent on things that you might not benefit from because I, I'm certain that the government spends lots and lots of money on things that you might not inherently agree with. So I just ask that maybe you use a lens of empathy with that argument. Yeah, Dame, I am not an attorney. I did not go to law school, although I've watched several TV dramas that involve the law. Here's, what I, here's where I think the most compelling part of, of this is. Number one, I clearly when the Biden administration did this, they specifically did it as an addendum or modification of the CARES Act so that it could at least pass muster. Number two, I think the idea of, well, is that really a modification? I think that becomes the operative point. But then the distraction, as you noted, and this is where my mind is sort of blown through the whole thing is the people who brought this in front of the Supreme Court it's hard to argue that there's any level of standing. And so specifically that organization, was it the Attorney General of Missouri Mm -hmm. uh, that that brought it on behalf of another organization Mm -hmm. that could have brought it themselves? Mohilo, Mm -hmm. right? Mohilo, Mm -hmm. yep. So Kristen, with a minute remaining in our current discussion of this, we're not going to get a ruling until June. Is that what we hear? Yeah, I think the end of June, early July is what I was reading. And when do student loan, loan repayments start back up? Well, it could be as soon as 60 days after they make a decision. So they're essentially giving borrowers two months to then figure out what their reality is post-decision. So so the decision to start payments back up is tied to the Supreme Court decision? Yes. and then, But it's no later than, I want to say it was September 30th in the article that I just read. So you, if they come to a decision before that, you still have 60 days. All right. So with 20 seconds left, Kristen, does this loan forgiveness go through? I think you better get ready to make payments. Dame? Doesn't go through, but I think the administration is going to try and figure out another way to increase the pause. I agree with Dame and Kristen because they build on each other. And I think there'll be another attempt uh, for loan forgiveness through Congress, which was the whole point of the Supreme Court. Coming up after the break, What's the biggest threat to stability in your generation? We'll tell you right here. I'm Pete the Planner. Tight little ditty there. This. Yeah, again, I didn't say that, but the Supreme Court was like, yeah, okay, neat, big thing. Go through Congress. That's that's the first string. This is like... And also, you're not Mohila. That was kind of the other thing that I got from it. Like, you're not Mohila. (laughs) Yeah, it's weird, like... 
that's where the law like I, I i struggle as someone who who doesn't study the law and didn't ever study the law of like okay three really compelling things you have no standing whatsoever right there's this idea of uh is it the modification and then the third thing is is it a modification if it isn't a modification well, Congress, Congress needs to be involved. And I, I just, it's so interesting. I guess that's why we have a Supreme Court, right? Yeah. I mean, if if there's a legitimate question about whether or not the action that's trying to be implemented is legal, it seems like there ought to be a way for somebody to challenge that. And maybe that's just through Congress coming in and saying, no, you can't do that. By, and here's this law that says specifically that. So I don't know. But man, I'd like to think that if there was something, some question about what a president was doing, uh, citizens would have a direct way to challenge that versus relying on Congress, which may be in lockstep with the president on doing I, that. I don't know. I tend to always agree with Big Rick Swank as <laughs> one of the best listeners in the history of this show of the two and a half million people who download. Um, Rick says the executive order stuff has gone way too far. I, it's hard to disagree with that. Right. It's just hard to disagree with that. I thought it went too far under President Obama. I thought it went too far under President Trump. And I think uh, I think what we're seeing is it may have gone too far uh, under President Biden. So now I, I also have to know Congress and the executive branch have gotten so contentious with each other in the last two decades that I think the executive order is a way to get things done. But I don't know. It seems like a chicken or the egg thing to me. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm not a fan of executive orders. I appreciate the efficiency that it can bring to the system, but uh, I think it uh, opens the door for a lot of uh, things that will be tough to unwind or one administration sets, the next one rolls back, and you're just playing with this ever-evolving set of rules. Quickly, when was the HEROES Act? 2003. That's what I thought. Oh, boy. That president was President Bush, by the way. But your follow-up comment was not wrong. That was yeah. still the justification that mm -hmm. Trump used. Yeah, the Heroes Act right. or the Cares Act. Correct. Anyway. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'll correct myself because um, there can only be so much wrong during a day, and it's my waking hours. Okay, Kristen, are you ready to also, as we start here, explain the generations? Yes. Okay, here we go. In three, two. One back on the Pete the Planner show. It's the correct what you said in the last segment edition of the show. The Heroes Act, of course, was in 2003 uh, under President Bush. That's George W. Bush. Mission accomplished. So, all right. Um, <laughs> we are wondering how each generation is most at risk when it comes to stability. So we're going to spend uh, some time here. If like, think about your grandparents and your parents and yourself and maybe your kids. You're looking at these generations and you're going, okay, what's the one element or a couple elements within each of these generations which really, really risk their financial stability? And so in order to understand who we're talking about, Kristen, can you define the generations for us uh, with some uh, numbers? Yes, I can. So first, I did not know that there were two sets of boomers, but I'm looking at um, Google says that there are. So um, there's the first set of boomers, which would they're currently 69 to 77 years old. Okay. Um, there's a second set of boomers. They are 59 to 68. Um, I'm comfortable with lumping them all together because I was not prepared to make arguments for separate generations there. Uh, Gen X 
is they're currently 43 to 58. And then millennials are currently 27 to 42. Okay. And then are we going to talk about Z's? I think we could, should talk about Gen Z. So Gen Z, I think, is just younger than 27. All right. Dame and I are the closest to boomers here. We are technically, <laughs> based on what you just said, we are Gen X and you mm-hmm. are a millennial, Kristen. So, let Dame, let's start with boomers. Mm-hmm. Biggest threat to financial stability for boomers? In my opinion, that's going to be uh, more frequent and drastic volatility in the markets as they either approach or... Uh, enter into retirement. The assets that they may have set aside, the resources they've built up may just get chunked down very, very quickly. They may have done a lot of things right, but based on stuff outside of their control, they may suffer and not have uh, the assets they thought they were going to for retirement. You know, I'm going to agree with you in a very weird way uh, that what we're talking about is income stability, actually. Correct. Right? Like, because we're, yeah. we're talking about the income derived from those assets. Another piece of income derived from government is Social Security and Medicare. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would suggest, and this isn't political, although there's a lot of talk about cuts to those things politically. I think that's a, a giant threat. If those programs are touched for anyone 59 or older, there's no there's no plan B. Uh, and I, it feels more real than ever before that that could actually happen. Yeah, Dave. And, and that's actually a, a, a wider ranging impact because it, folks who rely on Social Security alone to get by in retirement will certainly be impacted by this. But somebody who's done a very nice job of saving and preparing and then Social Security is just a supplement to their retirement plan may have a little bit easier time of weathering your scenario. So, uh, but they'll still be impacted. So social security, uh, the, and the potential reduction thereof in the future, however long Congress decides to kick that can down the road, that could be a, a very, very big impact to income stability. Yeah. Kristen, that's gotta be closer to people, the 59 years old end of the spectrum. Cause it's not like people who are 80 are going to be impacted by that. I mean, honestly. Yeah. I think that the greatest threat for the younger boomer is that they launched their career under this premise that social security for a lot of them would be enough. And I think as they're, again, younger boomers are approaching social security age, they're realizing that, oh, maybe this might not be enough. Um, And so I think not then delaying your decision to take social security could be the biggest threat for that younger group of boomers. All right. Dame, uh, next group, you and I, Gen X. Uh, Kristen, why don't you th- why don't you try to make judgments about really established mm-hmm. adults like Dame and I here? What do you think the biggest threat to our stability? We love hearing financial advice from millennials about our lives. Yeah. What do you believe to be the biggest threat to Dame and I from a stability standpoint? Youth travel sports. Okay. All right. We have written jokes. We have jokes. The Kristen Um, and Company show is live in several markets. No, I think that the greatest threat is lack of, or maybe just college planning in general. I think parent plus loans could be the greatest threat to intermediate and long-term stability for Gen X. All right. So Dame, uh, parent plus loans, big deal. Um, I, I'm going to go a slightly different direction. I'm going to 
not go with parent plus loans solely, but because the cost of college is so high and assets have been used to fund that, then retirement itself has not been funded. And then I'm also going to take one that is probably more of a millennial issue, but I think it's going to hurt uh, us, Gen X, the worst is the computers are coming for you. If AI has, <laughs> if AI has the implications that we think it has, that it will, you know, replace workers in the workplace. I think the most vulnerable people are going to be the oldest workers, which is you and me. How did we become the oldest workers? <laughs> Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, if you listen to some pundits, they'll say that don't worry about AI. There's nothing to concern yourself about. It's going to lead to a life of uh, more leisure and uh, relaxation for yourself. So I, I don't know if I buy that. I I agree with you completely that if uh, AI and robotics and uh, machine learning and all that stuff comes online in the way that it kind of looks like it might. The folks that they hire, the, the older folks in that spectrum who aren't going to be able to retrain and, and learn and be able to participate in that workforce were the ones that are going to be potentially left out. So I have a very specific example that is so on the nose um, in many ways. Oh, no. I'm going to share with you. And I learned about this yesterday. I was talking to a friend who has decades in the radio industry, mm -hmm. decades, really important person knows a lot and the biggest threat to local radio at least these days is the fact that you can take a person's voice and create uh, i don't what do you even call it ai around their voice mm -hmm. then you can input a read for that talent to read and so you're going to get to this point where there will not be radio personalities between songs and you know talk shows may may obviously keep going because it's about the the discourse but these people going oh next up is green day yeah that that is a robot now and so you're going to have industries like that where you can take a person's voice and have the computer and the ai populate the words to say and that's where it gets scary Radio stations are going to be nothing more than uh, advertising departments and the program manager is not going to have anybody to yell at. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know why this talk on generational stability got to AI other than I <laughs> brought it up. But Kristen, I do think the one compelling part that is yet to be figured out is sure, you can take a good voice and you can tie it with good words. But what makes effective communication are the pauses and the volume and the speed of which someone presents. So I feel like there's a little bit more meat on that bone left to figure out. You don't think AI can figure that out? I was going to say, I don't think that's a far leap at this point. I Comic timing. You're telling me that AI can figure out timing. AI told you, what did it tell you like two weeks ago? That it was going to take over the world and steal the nuclear codes? Like You think it can't figure out comedic timing? That seemed very pointed. I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, Dame, how much do you think health impacts Gen X's stability? Um, a, a lot, because I, I would anticipate uh, life expectancy to expand uh, in Gen X and uh, definitely in uh, younger generations as well. But we're going to see uh, longer lifespans, which means those assets are going to have to stick around for longer and they may not be available to do such. Biggest threats to millennials and Gen Z 
coming up after the break, talking about what are the biggest threats to financial stability for each of the generations right here on the Pete the Planner Show. I am the forum mentioned Pete the Planner. Yeah, that's a good point, Kristen. And I, don't to, <laughs> I don't want to say that on the air because I don't want to give you credit for being smarter than me. But yeah, good point. All right. We, we are starting right back up. Three, two, right. Right, three, two, one. Back on the Pete the Planner show. We're discussing Kristen's favorite topic. She journals about this. She has several tattoos on her arms that discuss this idea of what's the biggest threat to stability for each of the generations. We're now on to millennials. What's the biggest threat to financial stability? We will start with Dame so we can make judgments about Kristen and her brothers mm. and sisters mm. of the generation. Uh, I think the biggest challenge facing millennials is a DIY approach to investing and saving, but getting your advice when you choose to get it from influencers on TikTok. Wow. Now, here's the thing. That bridges the line between... <laughs> I think he's serious and is he joking? And <laughs> I, I, I would make an argument for each one. I, I thought you were going to go with avocado toast, but you went with, <laughs> uh, yeah, Dame, I, who are you getting your advice from? Is mm -hmm. that it? Yeah. Essentially, who are you getting? Are, are you Are you participating? And if you are, who are you getting your advice from? You don't think that some personalities that have existed before the influx, like before social media became as popular as it is, didn't threaten boomers or Gen X's stability? It depends yeah. on what depends on what they're preaching. I, you know, who if <laughs> I don't want to name names, but I, most well, don't. Please, please don't. <laughs> yeah, m most of what some of the bigger named uh, individuals that, that we would recognize. They're preaching sound fundamentals for the most part. But when you go on TikTok and you're looking at trying to navigate whether or not an IUL is a solution for every financial problem that you face, li literally every financial problem, mm -hmm. you're in trouble. And but that advice has been going on for decades, dude. But only but certain groups. I was going to say, I do. He, in his defense, I see that quite a bit on social media now. And the the conversations that are happening online about those types of uh opportunities it's concerning pete when we were out uh when we had reunion last fall and we were enjoying an evening together uh, one of our coworkers was engaged in a conversation with somebody that she was chatting with at, at the facility we were at and uh the she bar. grabbed me yeah bar <laughs> she <laughs> Oh, she, facility. facility. I don't know the bar. The bar we were at. <laughs> You're drinking. There, there could be kids in the car, and I didn't want to influence them. Uh, oh, no, yeah. At the bar, uh, and I, I'm pretty sure it was Gigi, and she grabbed me and pulled me over and said, "Okay, you tell him what you just told me." And it was an IUL conversation. Of Somebody in their mid twenties, and he was considering an IUL. It's out there, and it's but, you know it's a here, problem. Well. Can I can I play devil's advocate here? Sure, you can or be wrong. Diablo's advocate. It was my high school Spanish name. Um, what's wrong with considering an IUL as your core foundation for for? But I, I, I'm focused on the word consider. What what's what's wrong with looking at all of the options and deeply considering them? Like I I listen to. 
uh, media outlets that I fundamentally disagree with their stances because I want to, I want that information. What's wrong with considering something like that is the core of your, is it beyond consideration? Sure. But considering there's nothing wrong with considering it. I mean, I guess be an educated consumer. I, I've got no qualms with that. But if, if, so, if you're listening to somebody who's telling you to forego 401k and even the match and put all of your money in this after tax, because this is a tax deferred vehicle too, there are issues out there. And that industry is not regulated nearly as strictly as what the investment advisor industry is. Well, that's, that is 100% true. Right, you can't go to broker check a lot of times yeah. and, and find any information about that. Now, Kristen, I think the biggest risk for millennials are housing prices. Yeah, um, I, I think, and I don't. I mean, I guess we could spend some time. Like, who do you blame? But I, I think the idea that a, a house can mean some level of stability eventually, not not even in the moment. I, I don't think housing provides stability in the moment like a lot of people do. I think it is an eventual stability factor that is not being realized because housing prices are so high that that the investment groups are coming up and buying up homes and driving up prices of homes. Uh, that's, that's my biggest threat to millennials. I think that's fair. I think the uh, what I feel is like a continued elimination of private home ownership is a threat for sure. It, it has nothing to do with my avocado toast. But I also think that for millennials specifically, there's a huge threat to the treadmill years that we talk about with your kids being in daycare and then not being able to pivot really quickly to kind of play what maybe feels like catch up once you have those or once you have that income freed. I think that's a huge threat. Uh, Dame, here's one that is slightly provocative and I will regret tomorrow. What about this idea that this next generation is shifting major life events, marriage, when they're having children, um, mid-career retirements and then go back and like what about these just major lifestyle choices is that a threat to long-term financial stability it could be it depends on you know how well you've you've planned some of this stuff out we we haven't uh, in mass navigated questions like this before to see what the long-term effects are I mean, you and I can sit down and say, well, this is just a math problem and we can, we can figure this out and try and make sure that you can hit all your goals and live the life you want to. We all know that there's more to it than that. There's behavior issues that go behind that. So what if somebody decides to retire early and they like it and they are like, I ain't going back to work. I don't, <laughs> I don't care. Uh, uh, bad news. Your assets say that you can't do that or you're going to have to hashtag van life as big Rick Swink would say. Uh, there are plenty of issues that could be faced by people who are, are going down that path, but we just don't know what the consequences are going to be and how to prepare them for some of these decisions ahead of time. Kristen, what about cryptocurrencies and uh, the popularity of spending money on sneakers? I actually, that, that dovetails really nicely because I think for younger millennials and Gen Z, I think the greatest threat to their stability is influencer culture and overconsumption. Man, welcome to the old guy club, Kristen. 
I Welcome. just, you, you don't need a container to put your dishwasher pods in so that your under the sink looks aesthetically pleasing. It comes in a container. And if that makes me a boomer, that's fine. <laughs> Is it inappropriate to say I love her on the air? Like, I don't know. Like there's different types of love. It and just, it, I can't help it. I think influencer culture, uh, big Rick Swink just is co-hosting the show now, brings up <laughs> in the uh, Facebook live chat every Friday, 10 a.m. Eastern, uh, sports gambling, which we've talked about here on the show. Like, Do you feel like for younger millennial men or maybe Gen Z men that that is a threat? Yeah, definitely. I, it's just becoming part of culture at, at that point. It's, you know, who you got this week? What are you doing? Who, what apps are you using? And it's going to be really hard for someone to build consistency in their financial life without a tremendous amount of discipline when you're uh, dabbling in something that gives you uh, all the, the emotions and dopamine hits as, as gambling would. So gambling will absolutely be a challenge for younger generations. All right, Boomer Kristen, uh, oldest person on this show. Gen <laughs> Z, what's the biggest financial stability threat to Gen Z? I think it's overconsumption. I think that tail end of millennial and Gen Z, it's that you have to have the newest, the latest, the greatest, and Amazon's going to deliver it tomorrow or whoever. Um, I think that overconsumption is a huge threat. Dame, is that, no offense, Kristen, is that too reductive? Is that too just like too distilled down to the gripe of an old woman? Or what, what are we thinking? <laughs> I think it's legit. I, I think they're marketed too, and they've got more uh, options in front of them than any generation prior to them. And they are constantly being asked to consume. What do you, uh, and we got 30 seconds left. How, someone asked me yesterday why I don't think there's more of a push for financial literacy in schools. And I said, it's because the people that lobby for financial literacy and fund financial literacy in schools are giant financial institutions that don't want people to actually make the right decisions. What do you think about corporate ethics role in younger generations? And it's with that, we go to a break. Coming up after the break, biggest waste of money of the week and the news right here on the Pete Planet Show on PTP. What do you think about that? Yeah. Uh, some would say that's a conflict of interest, Pete. Is that a horse sound? What was that? <laughs> that was, <laughs> yeah, that was okay. <laughs> Damn, I, I rare. So let me just, we got a couple minutes here. Um, for a long time, I thought my brain worked older than my actual age by as large a gap as anyone I knew. Like mm -hmm. uh, I'm an old man inside of a young person's flabby body. Then I met you and I yep. was like, man, we're this, we're the same. We actually are the same. Dave, what if, what if this just lovely young Kristen Alanius actually had a bigger age gap between the way her brain works <laughs> and her, her human vessel? What do you think? It's possible. I mean, I, I don't want to brag, but when I was a freshman in college, somebody told me that I was the youngest 45 year old they'd ever met. So I, you know, do the math there, Kristen, that, that makes you older than me. If, if, uh, so <laughs> in first grade, my teacher had a meeting with my parents because she said I was too grown up to be a first grader and that it was a problem for me because I, I was born an adult. So there, I absolutely could. And I just told you that when I saw you this week, Pete, I said, I'm old yeah. on the inside. That's why I love McAllister's. Uh, my daughter, I think, will suffer from this same problem. When mm -hmm. she was in preschool on parent-teacher conference day, the teacher said, 
Um, Olivia believes that she co-teaches the class with me. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> Hilarious. Okay. Loud sounds in the background. Um, distracting element point that I'm going to give no other context to. I might be starting a new podcast. Excellent. Can't wait to not hear about it right now. Okay. Uh, let's do biggest waste of money of the week. And it's, it's with better co-hosts. Indeed. Probably. Yeah. Okay. I'm doing it myself in three, two, one. This week's biggest waste of money of the week right here on the Pete, the planner show is Highland park, 54 year old scotch whiskey. Oh, Kristen, you're good at the whiskey guesses. I'm so bad. In 2008, Highland Park master whiskey maker Gordon Motion. Can I get it one time out here? Yeah. Yes. Granted, Gordon Motion. That's a great name, Dame. Yeah, uh, stellar. Who's got the best name on our show? Let's just think about just like who's got the best. Okay, Kristen Elaine is probably out. Okay, just probably you're you're done. Okay, sorry. My it's name not is. You literally miscellaneous yeah How's she's that not that the is best good name but you very but it, it, you have to get miss in there to make it interesting you're out there's an ahl it's, it's confusing people <laughs> looking at it like how many Kristen? okay let's if we're being real how hard is it for people to try to pronounce your name the first time they see it it's so hard it took me two years okay so you're out game <laughs> What's better, Peter Dunn or Damien Dunn? What you've got is uh, you've got three-syllable first name versus a two-syllable first name. Which one's better? And I've got a little alliteration going with mine, too. So I think it's you. Yeah. But I, I see, I would say Kristen's name's better than mine because of the nickname. So here we are. Gordon Motion came across 10 refill casks distilled 40 years earlier. While the light-colored spirit inside was remarkable on its own, he had other plans and placed the liquid into first-fill sherry season casks where it would reside for another 14 years. The result is Highland Park 54-year-old Scotch Whiskey, the brand's oldest and rarest release thus far. It is a highly complex flavor with hints of everything from oak and peat, that's P-E-A-T, <laughs> to jasmine and kiwi, and arrives in a decanter inspired by the cliffs of Yasnabi. Inside a detailed wooden presentation case, it's limited to just 225 bottles, one for each year of the brand's history. Okay, Kristen, world's worst guesser. <laughs> what do you think this 54-year-old Scotch whiskey sells for? Does scotch usually, I'm not a scotch gal. Does it usually have kiwi undertones? Uh, it sounds like a little bit of a red herring. Uh, the question in front of you is <laughs> how much does it cost? It costs $1,200. Okay. That's a, that's a guess. Dame, <laughs> how much does the 54 year old scotch whiskey cost? 20 grand. $47,000, $47,000 a bottle. Kristen, you have earned your title as Thank world's you. worst guesser. Before we go too much further, I do want to make a quick note. Dame, what percentage of faith do you have that this is 54-year-old Scotch whiskey? Zero. Kristen? <laughs> uh, zero. Same. What's in the news this week, Dame? 
The slow move toward a cashless society is helping send the ubiquitous ATM into decline around the U.S., presenting challenges for those who still largely rely on cash. After peaking at 470,000 ATMs in the U.S. in 2019, the number of machines has declined over the past few years to 451,000, according to data tracked by the firm Euromonitor International. The reason? Most people quit using cash during the pandemic and haven't gone back, especially younger people. Cash and checks are forecast to fall 14% of total payments from this year. From 42% in 2010, the most precipitous drop coming just after the pandemic started in 2020. Officials from the ATM Industry Association, I bet they got great parties, uh, questioned the Euro monitor numbers, saying that while the dispensers were hit hard during the pandemic, they see a rebound in demand for cash. Here's what I want to discuss, Pete. The quote that they had, Cash is still the payment method of choice for in-person transactions of $25 or less. Discuss. Uh, I, we cannot say the word I want to say on air, nor would I. Uh, no way. No Wrong. way. Uh, have you guys ever been encountered at a, at a store or business where someone tries to pay in cash and they say they don't accept cash and then the person starts pointing at legal tender on the bill and they start yelling at them and you have to <laughs> have you seen that it's this it's is america yeah oh it's the best it is the best it's like the guy at the airport gate screaming respect my status it's, it's awesome um, uh, Kristen, how often do you spend cash over the course of 30 days zero times maybe one for maybe one dame um more frequently because a lot of the uh swim events that i go to are cash uh so i i do it there yeah even my daughter i had to go to watch a eighth grade girls basketball game last night that my daughter was cheerleading for Mm -hmm. it's a lot of levels to that they uh no you have to scan a qr code when you come in buy your ticket on the app and then show the person at the table that you bought the ticket on the app but the concession stand accepts cash. So I don't know what in the world's going on. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, Dame, what else is in the news? To break the day trading habit that cost him friendships and sleep, crypto fund manager Thomas Mink uh, first tried meditation and cycling. They proved no substitute for the high he got scrolling through investment forums, he said. Instead, he took a digital break. He installed software that imposed a 20 second delay whenever he tried to open coin stats or coinbase 20 seconds might not sound like much but it feels excruciating in smartphone time he said as a result he checks his accounts 60 percent less quote i've conscious i have to consciously make an effort to go look at that stuff uh, that i actually want to know instead of scrolling through feeds and endless conversations about stuff that's not very useful he said more people are adding friction to curb all types of impulsive behavior. App-limiting services such as OneSec and Opal were originally designed to help users cut back on social media scrolling. Now they're being put to use in personal finance by individuals and some banking and investing platforms. On OneSec, the number of customers using the app to delay trading, uh, to add a delay to trading or banking apps more than quintupled between 2021 and 2022. Opal says roughly 5% of its 100,000 active users rely on the app to spend less time on finance apps and 22% use it to block shopping apps such as Amazon. Is this a good idea that should be implemented by businesses in the best interest of their customers? Or should it be an option that can be toggled on and off by the user? I can't believe you brought this up. I honestly can't. I installed one sec on my phone yesterday. Really? Yes. I can't believe you brought this up. 
So uh, Ben, our VP of marketing, he and I are talking and he's showing me something and his phone's like taking 30 seconds to pull it up or whatever, 20 seconds. It's like, what's that? And he's like, oh, it's one second. Delay so that you you don't get that hit of dopamine that you're looking for on Instagram or LinkedIn or Twitter or whatever you're doing. So I installed it yesterday. I'm one day in. It, it's amazing. It's amazing. I want to install it on my daughter's phone, but I also can't. Like she's physically stronger than me, so I don't want to get involved with that. Kristen, does that appeal to you? Would you put one sec on your phone or not? No, because I put time limits on categories of apps when my iPhone first did that. Do you know what I do? I hit ignore for the rest of the day. (laughs) Well, of course you do, but I think it's interesting. Try it. It's the first, you can do one app for free. And then I I paid 14 bucks for annual because I needed it on a couple different apps because I'm a behavioral nightmare. Dame, (laughs) would you do this? I don't know because uh, same thing. I I would just find ways around it if I wanted to be if I wanted to go around it. It would take a level of commitment that I just don't have yet. I can see why there's a benefit to it, which is why I said, should this be implemented on the company side versus leaving it up to the user in uh, in efforts to to protect the health of the users? What app, Kristen, have you deleted from your phone in the last few years out of just prudence, and you're really glad you did? I would have said Twitter, but I recently brought it back and that was, it was a mistake. Yeah. Twitter is 100% my answer. I've deleted it. And uh, occasionally I look at my desktop, maybe once every couple of days, but I don't tweet. Uh, Dame? Twitter. But I have a, I've put it back on my phone as well, but I have Mm -hmm. a much healthier relationship with it. I will scroll. And then as soon as I see something that makes me frustrated, I just close it and move on. I deleted Facebook years ago, um, and I know we stream on Facebook Live, but I just, I don't, yeah, that one, that ship sort of sailed. Kristen, could you delete TikTok today? Yes. I don't believe you. Dame, can you, can Kristen delete TikTok today? Sure, she can. For how long? That's it. <laughs> Forever. That's the whole point. <gasps> no. All right. That's all we have time for, because Kristen's got to get on TikTok. I'm sending you good vibes. TikTok. Yeah, close enough. Awkward. Good vibes. Good vibes are all in the budget. I'm Pete the Planner. Enjoy TikTok. TikTok. J.O., my friend, says that Twitter is better with uh, with me. Is that what she said? Life is so much better without... Oh, no. She says... Wait, (laughs) I made that about myself. Man. Gosh. Someone's a narcissist today. Life is so much better without Twitter. It really is. I... I don't know if it's because of the pandemic. I'm just so much more sensitive to what gives me anxiety. And then I try to eliminate that. Same. Right. Well, that I, is well, sometimes not healthy though. I always run into, there's like, you know, like five really good follows on Twitter that give advice without, you know, just aggravating you every once in a while and, and twisting. But the problem is I don't unfollow everybody else. Uh, I, I leave them in my feed. So I, yeah. I can see that I can see the power and the benefit of, really concentrated follows on Twitter. I just clearly don't have the discipline to make those my only follows. I said I wanted to do a 50 minute show today and like I could ramble on for another four minutes and <laughs> just hit it right on the nose. But you know, I'll take those extra four minutes to uh, what Kristen. Well, I just have a really quick story about my last name. You asked the, like if people struggle with it, but if you want to, if you want to leave, we can go. No, please tell this very quick story about your name that I now made it's going to be terrible. No, no, no. Um, I bet this is amazing. Go so ahead. So 
in high school, I was in band and my senior year, I was a drum major. So you conduct in front of everybody. Yep, exactly. I didn't get to have a mace, but that's neither here nor there. So we go out onto the field and they're like doing their big announcement. Like, you know, they say the high school name and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, and, you know, led by the band director and by the drum major. And he goes, Kristen. And it was just dead air. Because <laughs> he was like, he was so confident. He like had his little speech going and just stopped. Uh, and the drum major, Kristen. Ah, crap. I don't know how to say her name. <laughs> it was pretty close to that. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, that's a good time. Um, best of luck with both of your lives. I don't know what's going to happen this weekend, uh, other than a lot of snow and then Kristen's big event. But uh, we will be back next week without Kristen. She is a one week suspension for a dumb story to end the show. <laughs> All right, everybody, stay getting money.